pandemic taught us some hard lessons about the ability of supply chains to withstand a global crisis. Will they help us to prepare for the next one? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. COVID-19 appears to be on the wane, or so we hope, as we cautiously begin opening up the economy and assessing the damage that it's suffered over the past year and a half. As the smoke begins to clear, we look for insights into how supply chains fared, and what we see isn't especially encouraging. Turns out our forecasts were garbage, in the words of my guest today, Sarah Rathke, partner in the law firm of Squire Patton Boggs. She returns to the podcast to talk about what we learned during the pandemic about global supply chains and how they need to be adjusted to weather the next black or white swan, depending on how you view it. For one thing, the link between supply chains and geopolitics is becoming abundantly clear. So is the need for domestic sourcing of vital supplies. Much more in my conversation with Sarah Rathke. Sarah Rathke, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. I should say welcome back to the show. It's been about a year, a full year, since we last spoke, and we've been through a lot <laughs> in that time, in a year of lockdowns, and I just wanted to review with you a little bit about maybe what we've learned in that time about supply chain stability and company stability and, and just what companies need to do to prepare for the next big one. But let me start by just asking what kind of picture have we gotten in the last year of supply chain stability and resilience in general? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good thing that nothing interesting has happened with supply chains in the last year. Yeah, yeah, isn't uh, that nice? <laughs> right. So everybody's been home a little bit more and everybody's done their jobs much differently than they did before. And for me personally, being home has allowed me greater insight into what happens with the schools as well, mm. much closer proximity with the kids. So I think it's fair to say that the parallels between what's going on in the supply chain and what's going on in the school exist. And that's to say both of these areas had things that before last year we assumed had to be true. They have to be held at a certain time every day. They have to be held in a certain format. People have to go in specific ways. The lessons plans have to be administered a certain way for mm -hmm. school. Parallels for the supply chain. And it turns out it doesn't have to be the way that we've done it. And so that's an interesting revelation. At first, I think we assumed that our substitute ways of coping with COVID were going to be suboptimal relative to the before times. And I think now we're seeing that there are probably ways that we we prefer to continue on with going forward, including a little bit less travel, a little bit more video and things like that. But going specifically to the hard and fast supply chain world, I think the biggest thing that we're struggling with now is that our forecasts are garbage. I mean, it, mm. pretty much every industry, every area, forecasts are garbage for a number of reasons. First of all, supply and demand, it has not normalized, and it's not going to, no matter what happens as we kind of start to pull out of this, it will normalize in some fashion, but it won't replicate the past. So our previous data is of dubious 
validity, of dubious import. And so we're kind of starting from scratch. And then Mm. compounding that, of course, is the fact that due to geopolitical concerns, change in administration in Washington and other things, it's dawning on us that some component parts, some materials, it's better if we can source them domestically rather than overseas, but there are economic challenges to that. And so these trends are kind of violently colliding in the supply Mm, chain world and at present making things difficult for everybody. But I think, I hope that we're all kind of heartened by the fact that we made it this far and using the greater ingenuity that the last year has encouraged us to use, hopefully we keep going and get through this as well. I I like that you're putting it in a very positive note, that you're presenting it as an opportunity for change that we would not have undertaken before. But some of the trends, and I believe we talked about this in the past, some of the trends were underway to some extent before. Rising wages in China and the trade war of 2018 was already causing companies to reconsider their sourcing strategies and heavy dependence on China, right? So it's, it's not, it wasn't completely new, but it certainly did accelerate it, did it, did it not, that, that kind of thinking? It did, and I think the federal government is continuously involved in that question I would say with the change of administrations, it's involved in a different way. The tariffs that were opposed by the Trump administration, they may or may not remain. But if they do, and even if they don't, it won't be for the same reason. It will be part of a broader geopolitical initiative that that administration implements that's fundamentally motivated by different considerations than before. So, yes, the efforts are heating up. The planning efforts are heating up. We've got to eventually get into implementation, which we're probably mostly not there yet. There's some interesting structural impediments to that that we're discovering. There's an article published in the journal yesterday talking about rare earth minerals, which are not particularly rare, though they come from the earth, typically sourced from China. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of places out west where we believe that reserves of these minerals are found, plenty of mine owners and operators that declare themselves ready, willing, and able to get at these reserves, but have yet to attract private equity funding to do so because it's hard to forecast how much and when and what the expense will be to to pull those out. So the planning is advancing past any stages that we've seen in the past, probably mostly not yet to to implementation. And in fact, rare earth minerals were part one of the critical supply chains identified by President Biden in his recent executive order for a review of yep. such supply chains. So maybe yep. that will be what really goads people. And, and, and indeed, there are a couple of ventures out there looking to develop rare earth capability, mining capability and processing capability here. But as you say, nowhere near as advanced as what China's already doing. Uh, you and I talked about a year ago, too, about companies' access to working capital and credit at the time. And of course, there was a squeeze then for obvious reasons. I'm wondering, has that loosened up at all? Is there more of an availability to that, especially for like medium size and small companies now or not? It's not really my area, to be honest, but I think so. The paranoia aspect has been removed. Now, now we have different, what I'm just going to characterize as economic concerns. I never anticipated that if you'd asked me a year ago whether today we would be worried about inflationary risk, I would have thought that, that was insane. But yeah. here we are. The rule is that everything changes. And, uh-huh. and the, the pace of change in, quote unquote, these precedented times a, a phrase that all of us should just 
be so tired of. The whack-a-mole has sped up. The game of whack-a-mole <laughs> that is functioning as an economic entity in the United States and elsewhere has sped up. Just to get back for a moment to the sourcing thing, and this is more of a geopolitical question, and that is that sure. maybe, I don't know how you would characterize uh, the United States' relationship with China at the moment. It certainly isn't good. Maybe it's worsening. There are more and more issues, pressure points, China's claims to the South China Sea and and things like that. Do you worry at all about how that might impact supply chains and and companies going forward? I don't know if worry is the right word, but I know that it will. It's interesting. I I actually have a a degree from Georgetown University that I never really got to use before in my line of work in this way, government degree and policy degree. And now, today, you can't talk about supply chain without talking about geopolitics. And indeed, you can't even talk about geopolitics without talking about supply chain. So from my perspective, it's Mm -hmm. very interesting. However normatively you want to characterize the U.S.-China relationship right now, what it is functionally, from the perspective of the Biden administration, is under review. So all of these bits and pieces that you see, China here, China there, what's happening is that the China experts in the Biden administration are putting together, attempting to put together a comprehensive China policy. So if it looks like a lot of things with regard to China are on pause, that's why they are. You have to have a policy that works together with all the other parts of your policy, which works together with regard to your priorities generally with regard to China. But I think one indication of what's going to happen is something that we've seen, which is that Biden is marshalling our allies, relying on our allies and with regard to South China Sea and things like that, I forget exactly who's in the Quad, that group of four countries that, that Biden has kind of assembled together to oppose certain Chinese territorial claims, mm-hmm. are doing that, are opposing that. And it's much more meaningful. They have banded together at our organization in order to do that. And that says a lot more than just us pounding our fists on the table from here. What you're seeing in some instances is the attempt to put together a comprehensive master plan that makes sense from all angles. From the government's geopolitical perspective, you can't address supply chain in isolation. So if supply chain folks are looking at the Biden administration and thinking, what are we waiting on here? That's it. That's the thing. I think the quad might be U.S., Japan, India, Australia. Is that does that make sense? Or that's could a be. quad. Yeah, that could be right. Yeah, yeah doing that exercise right. and, and the like. But you can certainly see a different attitude uh, by this administration on cooperation with other countries as opposed to the so-called America First path that a previous president pursued. What do we know now about the types of industries that are best able to stand up under the pressures we've seen in the last year and those that are least able to, the survivors and the losers, which types of industries internationally and which types of supply chains have come out ahead and which ones really are having problems as a result? You know, I don't know that I would say that one industry or another is doing better. I can't think that that's true right now. I think everybody's in the struggle right now. Everybody's got Mm -hmm. their own struggle and everybody's in the struggle. But what I will say is Totally consistent with the last 20 years, large global international companies are winning, smaller manufacturers are losing. That's something that we have to decide how we feel about that and then decide whether the fact that we like it or don't like it means we implement certain policies in response. Yeah, That's what I would say. Do you think uh, there had been talk that we were moving away from globalization and the general consensus that international trade is a good thing and that everyone can agree on that and that we're going away from multilateralism to more bilateral approaches to trade. I I wonder if that is in fact the case. Do you see that or not? My opinion is that it's going to be hard to wholesale put that toothpaste back in the tube. 
at the same time, I don't know how anybody could say that it's working for everyone. It's clearly not working for everybody. And there's economic and social impacts on the division of wealth within the American citizenry that have resulted from that that I think folks have plenty of reason not to be thrilled about. I, I totally understand that. At best, the presidential administration lasts eight years. So everything is always subject to change. We're not like China. We can't steer the aircraft carrier for decades in one dedicated direction. But at the same time, this administration seems to, and U.S. economic entities seem to be cooperating with the idea, at least, if pre-implementation, the idea of more thoughtful multinationalism and making sure, at the very least, that our economy in a kind of macro sense isn't harmed by what we're doing, and hopefully looking also and making sure that the trade policies and practices that we've adopted aren't hurting ordinary Americans. I want to know just a little bit more about what lessons we've learned, and maybe from the standpoint of what you tell your clients, too, as to what policies they should be following now, how they should be preparing for the next big one, whatever that might be, whether a pandemic or anything else. How should companies and global companies and supply chains be, be positioning themselves right now to strengthen themselves against the next big disaster or disruption? Well, I think the way that you ask the question articulates the problem exactly. What's happening next? I don't know, but it's likely to be big. And for that reason, the advice that I give is elevate the level within your company at which you consider these issues. 10, 15 years ago, supply chain was considered kind of a operational backwater. Now, Anybody who's manufacturing anything with a broad web of suppliers that's international ought to consider having some kind of supply chain or geopolitical expertise on their board of directors. Mm -hmm. That way, the awareness of geopolitical trends and the fact that there is, at all times, there's something coming. I don't know what it is. Is it a train or is it candles on top of birthday cake? I got no idea. But at least <laughs> it's being considered at the highest level. And mm -hmm. that increases the entity's maneuverability, I would say, in response to crisis. It does seem that companies are finally achieving a new awareness of risk and the need for risk mitigation, building that into their executive suite planning. Do you see that? And do you advise on that as well? Yes. And not just as a legal function. Matter of fact, it's typically not conducted as a legal function, but people are cooperating in new ways with their brokers and carriers. I think that's valuable. It is becoming more professionalized, and I, I think that that's Good. We're only a year and some change out of the beginning of this pandemic. So if you're listening to this and you're a company that still is sort of like responding to crises as they occur, don't feel bad. You're in the vast majority. It's hard enough to just like get through your day to day. I bet it'll resonate with a lot of people what's resonated with me, which is that like I spent a lot less time commuting, but somehow more time working. Uh, yeah. You know, there's just a lot more to be done right now. And it's Thanks, man. It stinks. But <laughs> hopefully, and I want to say third quarter, fourth quarter, hopefully we'll get our skis underneath ourselves at that time and can start engaging in a little bit more advanced planning. Do it as early as you possibly can, obviously. But if you're not doing that yet, you're not alone. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. And everything is getting squeezed. Finding qualified employees for any position has become really hard. It reminds me of the late 90s, like early 200s before the dot-com bubble burst. You walk around town, you see restaurants closed because they can't hire workers. It's, it feels like that to me. 
Mm-hmm. Except for we all well, wear yeah. masks in this scenario. Weird. Well, we had we had very very low unemployment before this all started, and you would think that there would be a huge labor pool right now of available people just looking for work. But I guess it doesn't work that way necessarily for the jobs that are required. And then, of course, we'll get back to low unemployment if the economy picks up. So I guess that's a headache that's not going to go away anytime soon, right? Everything is so meta. Every aspect of what you're mm. doing. I sitting here in the perspective of like sitting in my house in the midwestern suburbs. Apparently, also, this is what needed to happen in order for millennials to want to buy suburban real estate. So people are buying and selling. Everything is so meta right now. It sounds stupid and trite, but it's true. Oh, I don't think so. No, we're definitely looking at it from a higher level, kind of examining ourselves from from that from that standpoint, which has got to be a good thing, ultimately, I would think. Sir, what, you know, what you say? Right. Listen, in ancient times, the ancient philosophers that anybody has heard of come from ancient Greek, and that's because Sparta wasn't the country that was getting its butt kicked. That mm-hmm. comes from difficulty, adversity, and reflection. So, yeah, hopefully. Not without cost, obviously, but hopefully. Well, okay, Sarah Rathke of Squire Patton Boggs. It's uh, been really a pleasure to talk to you again after a year and sort of mull over these issues and see where we're going, and, and maybe we can uh, trace it again in a, in a few months. But in the meantime, thanks very much for sitting down with me and, and discussing these issues as to where we might be going post-pandemic. Let's hope that it's post-pandemic. <laughs> anyway, thank you right. very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. This was fun. That was my conversation with Sarah Rathke of Squire Patton Boggs, talking about lessons learned from the pandemic. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time. <laughs>